In the late 1890s, a Chinese secret group, the Society of Righteous and Harmonious Fist, known as the Wyaquin, had begun carrying out regular attacks on foreigners and Chinese Christians. The rebels performed calisthenic rituals and martial arts that they believed would give them the ability to be impervious to bullets and immune to physical harm. Westerners referred to these rituals as shadow boxing, leading to the boxer's nickname. In addition to being a militant group, the Wyaquin were a religious sect that intermingled Buddhism with Chinese indigenous religion. Composed of many segments of Chinese society, including unemployed workers idled by the use of Western technology and disbanded imperial soldiers idled by the conclusion of the Sino-Japanese War of 1895. The majority of boxer recruits were peasants from the northeast portion of China, in particular from Shandong province. These peasants had undergone terrible suffering as a result of flooding and famine over the previous decade. Shandong is home to the lower course of the Huangyi, or Yellow River, before it discharges into the Yellow Sea. The river is known as both the cradle of Chinese civilization and China's sorrow. Flooding of the river was not uncommon, often with disastrous consequences. In 1887, in provinces west of Shandong, between two to four million people perished in a massive flood when dikes on the river were breached. In 1898, a Yellow River flood directly affected Shandong province, inundating over 2,000 square miles of the province. An estimated 2,000 people drowned and over 100,000 were left homeless. In addition to the loss of many villages, the flood also resulted in the destruction of cereal crops and the loss of cattle, precipitating a famine that affected over one million people in the province alone. The famine and destruction caused by the flood continued to increase dissatisfaction and desperation among the rural peasantry. This desperation would be a major factor in the mobilization of the provincial population against foreigners and would spur membership in the boxers. Vast numbers of starving people, having turned to begging and banditry, were easy converts to the boxers' cause. Bonjour and bienvenue. Hello and welcome back to Meyer Fun Facts. I'm Steve Meyer, and I'm excited to say this is our eighth consecutive episode. Meyer Fun Facts dares to ask the question, who needs Google when you have Steve Meyer? I wanna thank all the Meyer Fun Fact maniacs who are dropping me notes about their 
individual experiences at the Red Gym, and notes on suggested topics, the most recent of which was a request for a deep dive on the Peshtigo fire. But enough of the updates. Let's go back to the Far East and get into this episode, The Boxer Rebellion. As if the flooding and famine weren't enough on their own, other factors enhanced the siren call of the boxers and tore at the fabric of traditional Chinese society. The first of these other factors was the presence of Western religions, mostly Christianity, within China. Christian missionary activities helped provoke the boxers. Christian converts flouted traditional Chinese ceremonies and family relations. And missionaries pressured local officials to side with Christian converts, who were often from the lower classes of Chinese society, in local lawsuits and property disputes. Boxers believed that only indigenous Chinese and Asian religions should be allowed to exist within China. While the Boxer Rebellion was a result of various societal, economic, and religious causes that threatened what was perceived by the Boxers as the status quo, the rebellion was in part an expression of religious fundamentalism by the Boxers, who in fact were a religious minority in the country. An additional factor fueling the anti-foreigner, pro-isolationist fervor of the boxers was that by the end of the 19th century, Western nations and Japan had forced China's ruling Qing dynasty to accept wide foreign control over the country's economic affairs. The dynasty had begun in 1644 when the Manchus, a semi-nomadic people from the from northeast of the Great Wall, conquered the crumbling Ming state and established the Qing, or Pure, dynasty, which lasted for over 250 years until 1911, marked initially by prosperity. The 19th century brought a series of commercial concessions being forced upon China due to the Opium Wars of 1839 and 1856 and the Sino-Japanese War of 1894. While the underlying causes of the First Opium War, that is the actions of the East India Company smuggling into China opium grown in India under their control, warrants its own podcast, The 1842 Treaty of Nanking, ending the First Opium War, allowed the British to carry on their mercantile transactions with whatever persons they pleased, committed the Chinese to fair trade, including the trade in opium, and Hong Kong was ceded to Britain. Then, in 1856, the British, seeking to extend their trading rights in China, found an excuse to renew hostilities. The French, having designs on Yuhan province bordering 
French Indochina, decided to join the British military expedition using as their excuse the murder of a French missionary in the interior, interior of China in early 1856. Over the next 20 years, Britain and the other nations trading in China forced the Manchu government to accept formal trade and diplomatic relations. The foreigners also secured immunity from prosecution in Chinese courts for any crimes their citizens committed. In addition, the Manchu government agreed to open China to Protestant missionaries. European Catholics have been converting Chinese to Christianity since the 1500s. And finally, even the emperor decided to legalize the opium trade. As the century came to a close, the Japanese victory against China in the Sino-Japanese War encouraged the European nations to demand even more concessions from the Manchu government. These concessions included such things as exclusive trading ports, foreign residential areas, and railroad rights of way. By the time the Boxer Rebellion started in 1899, the British, French, Italians, Russians, Germans, and Japanese all controlled areas in China called spheres of influence where they monopolized trade, and there was open talk of converting China into colonies for each of these foreign nations. When we come back, the movement turns into open rebellion. Beginning in 1899, Sporadic violence by the boxers broke out in Shandong province. These initial attacks were primarily on locations and individuals associated with Western religions. When the government response to these attacks made it clear to the boxers that the Chinese imperial government was supportive of the Western religion's presence in China, the attacks expanded to include complicit government officials and an increase in the boxers' resolve to attack more prominent cities, including Beijing, as they were the centers of foreign influence. While initially the Qing dynasty, led by Empress Dowager Shaizi, fought against the boxer rebels in January 1900, she issued edicts in the boxers' defense. Following the Empress's apparent change of heart, in spring 1900, the boxer movement spread rapidly north from Shandong into the countryside near Beijing. Boxers burned Christian churches, killed Chinese Christians, and intimidated Chinese officials who stood in their way. Foreign property including such things as railroads were destroyed, 
and the high point of the rebellion occurred in mid-1900 when Beijing was occupied by an unknown number of boxers, purportedly somewhere in excess of 100,000. The rebel fighters, convinced that they were invulnerable to foreign weapons, had converged on Beijing with the slogan, support the Qing government and exterminate the foreigners. The diplomatic delegations of the United Kingdom, France, Germany, Italy, Austria-Hungary, Spain, Belgium, the Netherlands, the United States, Russia, and Japan were located in what was known as the Beijing Legation Quarter, just south of the Forbidden City. The countries had previously sent small contingents of military personnel to protect their respective delegations. After a series of violent incidents, most of the foreign civilians, which included a large number of missionaries and businessmen, took refuge in the legation quarter and particularly in the British legation building. Some segments of the Imperial Chinese Army and boxer irregulars proceeded to lay siege to the legation quarter. A total of 473 foreign civilians 409 soldiers, marines, and sailors from eight countries, and about 3,000 Chinese Christians desperately held out for two months against attacks by the boxers until a large multinational military force called the Eight-Nation Alliance managed to break the siege, scattering the boxers and marking the beginning of the end of the rebellion and the beginning of the end of the Qing dynasty. This eight nation alliance relief force, initially numbering 18,000, grew to over 50,000 and included over 20,000 Japanese troops, 13,000 Russian troops, and a variety of numbers from other countries. A movie about the siege starring Charlton Heston, Ava Gardner, and David Niven, which is considered a not-so-factually accurate historical epic, is 55 Days at Peking. I have been unable to find it on any streaming service, but a copy is available on the internet via YouTube. When we come back, the epilogue. Before we get to the epilogue, I want to give a quick shout out to Tiplock Home Services. Remember, for snow removal services in the Madison area, call Dan or Brock at 608-575-7054. Meyer Fun Fact Maniac Bill A. reached out to me saying he had seen the movie 55 Days at Peking and suggested that the two-month siege may have been somewhat like the Battle of the Alamo. Sorry, Bill, there were notable differences. 
the legation quarter was significantly larger than the Alamo complex. Food and water within the legation was overall adequate. And although medical supplies were scarce, there was more than enough doctors and nurses present. Most important to the inhabitants' survival was the ambivalent attitude of Chinese troops, many of whom held anti-boxer sympathies. The Empress Dowager actually called a ceasefire after 28 days, which basically held until the arrival of the relief column a month later. Beijing and several cities in northern China were occupied for a year by the International Expeditionary Forces. There were frequent atrocities against civilians, especially by French, German, Japanese, and Russian soldiers, who seemed to take the attitude that any Chinese civilian that fell into their hands were either boxers or their supporters. The former formal end of the Boxer Rebellion occurred on September 7, 1901, when the Boxer Protocol was signed. It had numerous provisions, including a prohibition under pain of death for membership in any anti-foreign society. Importation of weapons into China were prohibited for two years with a possible two-year extension, and China was required to pay indemnities to the Western nations. The $30 million portion to be paid to the United States was reduced to $10.6 million, most of which financed a program envisioned and promoted by U.S. Secretary of State John Hay and approved by President Teddy Roosevelt that brought Chinese students to study at American universities. Hay, who warrants his own podcast, had started his government career as personal secretary, sort of chief of staff, to Abraham Lincoln. In 1898, he had advocated for an, quote, open-door policy, end quote, with China rather than the spheres of influence created by the other foreign countries. The public perception of the eight-nation alliance working together masked the developing dispute between Japan and Russia in the Far East. As we learned in the DMZ podcast, it was only a couple of more years until Russia attacked Japan in Manchuria and Korea, leading to the Russo-Japanese War and the naval battle of the Shishumi Straits. One other consequence of the Boxer Rebellion was that the Western powers gave up the idea of colonizing China as it became more preferable to work with China through its imperial administration. The confusion and consternation in the last years of the Qing dynasty gradually evolved into a chaotic warlord era 
when most powerful Northern warlords became hostile toward the revolutionaries in Southern China who had overthrown the Qing monarchy in 1911 and established the Chinese Republic under Sun Yat-sen. Today, the present Chinese leadership now specifically includes the Boxer Rebellion and the consequences imposed by foreign countries as part of its public grievance called the 100 Years of Humiliation. It starts with the Treaty of Nanking in 1842 and ends in 1949. They seem not to mention or talk about the harm caused by Mao Zedong to his own people in the 1960-62 Great Leap Forward, where up to 45 million Chinese died of starvation, and the 1966 Cultural Revolution, which was basically a terror campaign conducted by the Red Guard, resulting in the death of 2 million of its citizens. It is always a problem whenever those in political power get to define history. That concludes this episode of Meyer Fun Facts. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you'll be back next week. To make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget you can email me topic suggestions or questions about podcast at MeyerFacts.com at gmail.com and you can get my random thoughts on my twitter page at meyer fun facts a quick reminder that any fact i've labeled as a meyer fun fact does not have guaranteed accuracy i had a great time learning about and talking about the boxer rebellion see you next week <laughs>